Today we'll be studying uh, just three verses together from verse 15 up until verse 17. Ephesians 5, from verse 15 up until verse 17. Hear the words of the living God. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we ask you for your grace and your mercy. Help us, Father, as Brother Phil prayed as well, that you would now speak to us. Lord, um, I pray that you would please protect us from dullness of hearing. I pray that you would grant us true repentance and true wisdom according to this passage, Lord. Teach us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So, so those of you who are joining us and maybe haven't been here for a while, uh, we are now in the practical section of Ephesians. Uh, Paul likes to, or most of the New Testament letters tend to begin with doctrine or uh, the, the work of God's salvation. Chapter 1 to 3 in Ephesians is about our blessings in Christ, who we are in Christ. And then from chapter 4, it goes about our walk in Christ. How do we now live out our new identity in Christ? As a reminder, and that's really the key word of this section of chapter 4, is walking. Chapter 4, verse 1, says, "Urge you, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy. Verse 17, I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Chapter 5, verse 2 says, walk in love as Christ loved us. Verse 8, we saw, walk as children of light. And now in our passage, we have a new walk, another walk we have to do, verse 16 or verse um, verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So if you just stick to chapter 5, we see we have to walk in love. We have to walk in light, meaning that God defines what's love, not us. We God tells us what's loving by living in light, and that means holiness and uh, true repentance and true obedience. And now we have to also walk in wisdom. We have to be wise. We have to make the best use of the time because the days are evil. And really, we're only going to look at two points together. We're going to look at just this first overall command to say we have to live carefully. Live carefully your life. And there's going to be three ways how we live carefully. And then we're just going to answer the question at the end, why? Why should we live carefully? So first, the first command we see here is, is to live carefully. Look at verse 15. Live carefully. It says, look Carefully then, how you walk. So the idea here is very, very simple. Keep an eye on your feet. Don't just rush along, headlong, seeing where the wind takes you. Think about your choices. Think about how you live. Think about how you manage your time. Live your life so carefully as if you're walking across a room with a thousand pieces of glass that you have to try to avoid. That's what it means to look carefully. The Proverbs helps us here. The Proverbs tells us that the righteous ponders their way, but the fool rushes headlong, right, and suffers for it. So the, the righteous will take a step back. Now, sometimes our mistake is we just, we, we, we want to figure out everything before we do anything. So we shouldn't be so careful that we never step out in faith and just trust God and obey. But yet we still have to think through our lives, think through our choices, and then there's really three ways we should live like uh, live carefully. 
three ways you and I should live carefully in this foolish world. The first way is by living in the light of ultimate reality. The first way you and I live carefully in this world is by living our lives in the light of ultimate reality. Now, I say ultimate because what we are experiencing now is also reality. What we see, what we hear, the, the chairs we're sitting on, that's reality. But there's also ultimate reality. There's a reality that we do not see. And we see this, if you look at verse 15 carefully, it says, okay, the word carefully there, but it says, look carefully, then... So the idea there is he just said something in verse 14 and in the context that should cause you to live carefully. And he just said in verse 14, what did he say in verse 14? He says, anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. This sleeping is not physical sleeping. This is moral sleeping. This is the sleep of sin, the sleep of wasting our lives on sinning. So it says, wake up. Don't sin. It's not worth it. Your sins are not worth it. That's living in the light of ultimate reality. And if you look just a, a little bit up as well, look at verse 6. It says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. What is ultimate reality? The wrath of God is coming. Jesus is coming again. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. And what you do with your life now will determine whether you will spend your eternity in eternal pleasures or in eternal agony. Moments just like these will determine your eternity. And you can't have yesterday again. You can't have even if this service is over, it's, it's over. That's what it means to live in the light of ultimate reality. The wrath of God is coming. Are you ready? Have you fled to Christ, the rock of ages cleft for us? But look at verse 5. It doesn't stop there. Verse 5 as well, it says, You may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is covetous, that's idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. There's a kingdom coming as well. Christ is going to establish his eternal kingdom. And that's the idea. This is what it means to live carefully by being sober-minded, not wasting your life on pursuing earthly goals that doesn't have eternal value, right? Is we want to be thinking about that day. We want to be thinking how we are going to be presented before King Jesus. Are we going to be ready? So that's what it means to live in the light of ultimate reality. We have a heaven to gain and a hell to avoid. We have a God to obey and our sins to repent of. We have some work to do. We have to live carefully. That's what it means to live wisely. Live in the light of ultimate reality. But here's a second way. We live carefully. And that's simply by living according to God's wisdom. Living according to God's wisdom. Because the rest of verse 15 just elaborates and says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but... As wise. So the idea there is, uh, remember, wisdom is a rich Old Testament theme. The book of Proverbs is wisdom. If you, if you just study Proverbs, you will live wisely in this world. And where does it all begin according to the book of Proverbs? It all begins with, listen to Proverbs 9 verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning 
of wisdom. You haven't even begun to be wise if you, if you don't fear God. You see, you can be a very intellectual person. You can be a very smart person. But if you don't fear God, you are a fool. A fool, says in his heart, there is no God. Because you're missing what everything is about. If everything was created by God and for God, and if you're not living for him, you're a fool. You're missing the whole point of history, the whole point of where history is going. From beginning, I love that psalm. It's a beautiful psalm. It says, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. There's something that's going to remain standing when everything falls apart. And that's God. He's the I am. He's Yahweh, self-existent, glorious God. And your life is a waste if you don't live it for him. And that's wisdom. Living it according to the fear of the Lord. And that's our summary problem. You know Romans 3, when it goes through that list of there is none righteous, there's not one, no one seeks after God. And right at the end of that list, I believe Paul shows us right the root of our sin. And look, listen to Romans 3 verse 18. It says, there is no fear of God before them. That's a summary of our condition. We don't fear God. That's why we live foolishly. We don't think God sees us in secret. That's why we spend it in sin. We don't think what I do now with my life. We don't believe there's a judgment day. We don't believe in heaven and hell. And therefore, we can live whatever we want to do. And that's the problem of our hearts is we don't fear God. We don't really believe these things. And, but let me show you how this fear of God really starts infiltrating every single area of your life. The, the public life, your secret life, your thought life. Because you, you, you believe God even sees the secrets of your heart. Even that isn't hidden from him. Let me use parenting as an example. It's a classic example of where we ought to fear God. The world says the rod is unloving. The world says giving a child a hiding is, is not loving to the child. And the Bible says exactly the opposite. Right? Proverbs 13, 20, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son. If you spare the rod, it's actually you who hate your son or your daughter. It says, but he who loves him. He's diligent to discipline him. So now I have a choice. Am I going to fear God and trust his methods? Or I'm going to rely on my own understanding and say, yeah, these are outdated. This is dinosaur kind of texts we're dealing with here. <laughs> okay, This is outdated. We now have evolved. We now know what, what really is helpful for children, right? And so we disregard that. And, but no, I fear God. But you see, your fear of God will also keep your anger in check, that you won't use the rod in an abusive way because you believe fathers do not provoke your children to anger. You know, I can't just go, go haywire because God is going to judge me. You see, but the fear of God is the perfect balance for that. Let me mention another thing. Imagine church discipline. We, we just discussed this in our membership classes as well. Church discipline. Can I just be brutally honest with you? I do not like church discipline. If I could delete a passage in the Bible, it would be Matthew 18, verse 15 to 20. I would delete it. But again, I fear God. <laughs> and I, was like, I can't. This is God's word. He says, if there's an unrepentant believer in the church, we should remove that person from our membership and bar that person from, from the Lord's Supper. That's what God says, not I. But if you don't fear God, you're not going to do it. Again, trust in the Lord 
with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Church discipline, if I had to lean on my own understanding, I never would have done it. Because I would always have felt this is not right. This doesn't work. But we're not pragmatic. We say, what does God command? And we trust him. We say, okay, God, you said it. I, I'm going to obey you. I don't feel like this is the best way, but you are more true than my feelings. You are more true than even my, my mind and how I tend to think about things. You are wiser. You see the end from the beginning. So with church discipline, we're going to say, Lord, this is hard, but we're going to do it because we love you. We trust you. We fear you. We want to be a holy bride for Christ. You see how this just affects everything in your life. It affects the way you work when nobody sees you. Right? Uh, later in Ephesians, we're going to study that passage. We should not serve as people pleasers. In other words, we just work, and when the boss is there, we work, you know, very, very, very hard. And then once the eyes are gone, we're like, ah, oh, candy crush. Okay, here we go, right? But no, fear of God means, wait, I don't have an earthly boss, but God still sees me. God still knows what I'm doing. I'm going to still work hard for him, right? How you treat your husband and your wife, how you treat your children, where you even live will be determined by the fear of God, Right? I want to live in a place where I can obey God, where I can belong to a local church, where I can serve Him. What books we read, what movies we watch, what music we listen to, the fear of God is going to affect every area of your life. There's no area where the fear of God is off limits, right? It's like, even here, I'm fearing my God. And even though I have a brother who downgraded his job that he can have more time to spend in prayer and spend in the Bible. Okay, I have all this money, but I need to... I'm struggling to get to my Bible. I, I need to get a different job, right? Now the world looks at us like, what are you doing? You're wasting your, you're wasting your potential, your talent. No, but we fear God. And, and really, beloved, when nothing else motivates you, the fear of God should motivate you. When you have zero desire to do what God says, fear him and do it anyway. Fear him and do it anyway. And trusting him that your heart will follow. That's sometimes, the, that's part of our sin. Like, Lord, this is part of what makes my sin so bad to me is I, I know this is what I want to do, but my heart isn't in it. Please, Lord, create in me a clean heart. Incline my heart to your word. That's one of, that's one of, we're going to be so joyful in heaven because what we ought to do and what we want to do would be the same thing. There's not going to be that tension anymore between the spirit and the flesh. That tension is going to be gone, and that's going to be, going to be one of our chief joys. So we live carefully by living in the light of ultimate reality, by living wisely in the fear of God. And then thirdly, we also live wisely by redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. Look at verse 16, if you can still see it. Wait, let me. Um, I'm, I'm already like seeing blurry things. So I hope you don't mind like this. Okay. Verse 16, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Literally, the Greek reads, redeeming the time. That's the literal word there. By saying making the best use of the time, the Greek says redeeming the time. And think of the word redeem. What does that mean? It means you pay for something. You, you pay, you redeem something, by, by it's going to cost you something. Now, connect that to your time. If you want to make the best use of your time, it's going to cost you something. You're going to have to be willing to let go of sometimes even good things. 
That's not sin in and of themselves, but that's dragging you down. That's making you slow. This thing is good, but not for me. (laughs) This is a good gift, but it's slowing me down, so I'm going to delete the game. I'm going to stop doing this thing or that thing because I'm just not getting into my Bible. I'm not spending my time wisely. So we have to redeem. It has to sometimes cost us something. So let me just make a clarification here, just for us. This doesn't mean, when we say making the best use of the time, that we never rest, never enjoy God's good gifts in creation, right? Why not? Because we are not just a soul floating around, disembodied from, we are a body-soul unity. And sometimes the best and the wisest thing you can do with your time is to sleep, not to pray, (laughs) okay? Right, Not to say your amen in the morning. I say, Lord, okay, I'm going to rather rise a little bit earlier so that I can start my prayer in the mornings. Right. So listen to this verse. This is so serious that if you reject some of God's good gifts categorically, the Bible says that's doctrine of demons. Listen to 1 Timothy 4. It says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits, Teachings of demons. Now, when you think of that, you're thinking of pentagrams, you know, cats being offered on the altar, right? Teaching of demons. Listen, what does Paul say is the teaching of demons? He says, who forbid marriage. That's teaching of, that's doctrine of demons. No marriage, right? Roman Catholic Church, okay, we just, but but in their fairness, only for the priests, but still they were forbidding a good gift from God to be holy, to be more holy. And that's wrong. That's sinful. It goes on, require abstinence from foods. No bacon for you. Doctrine of, okay. thank God for that. Thank God for that. We can, it says, abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving. That's how we sanctify every good gift. Does your heart say thank you to God, or does it draw you away from God? That's the test. Can you thank God for this thing, or do you feel guilty about this thing? If you feel guilty, don't do it. And if you give thanks, do it with pleasure. God wants us to enjoy his gifts. And then it just goes on, for everything created by God is good. Listen to that. Everything created by God is good. Nothing's to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Another verse, 1 Timothy 6 verse 17 It says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them to sell all their possessions, live in poverty. No, I'm joking. That's not what the verse says. Uh, If it was on the board, you would have now laughed with me, okay? (laughs) But this is what the verse really says. Listen to this. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Don't be proud. Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So this is a kind of God that wants us to enjoy him and his gifts. Not him or his gifts. But when God takes away the gifts, that's the true test. If you say, if my heart and my flesh fails, God, you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. But while our flesh does not fail, we say, Lord, thank you for my health. Thank you for my wife. Thank you for my children. Thank you for this house. Thank you for this car. Thank you for this steak baptized in Jimmy's sauce on the, on the altar of praise for you. <laughs> okay. 
So, in other words, beloved, be careful of what I'm, I'm not saying that we should believe the imaginary 11th commandment. Thou shall not enjoy life. Okay. That's not what we talk. When we say live wisely in the fear of God, redeeming the time, don't throw away good gifts. That's doctrine of demons. That's not what we say. But what we are saying is don't enjoy the good gifts to such an extreme that you are neglecting God, neglecting fellowship, neglecting your soul. Right? You want, so in summary, we want our whole lives, our rest and our work and our obedience to Christ be, to be lived under one umbrella, under the fear of God, under God's presence. That's what it means to live wisely. And here's a summary verse you can, you can take away. Um, Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13. This is the last two verses of Ecclesiastes. It says, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments. This is the whole duty of man. If you just do those two things, you do everything. Fear God, keep His commandments. For God will bring every deed into judgment, uh, whether in secret or in public, whether good or evil. You see, that's a good summary of this verse. Fear God, keep his commandments, and know that God is going to judge you. Now live like it. Live like that's true. Live like it's real. In other words, we are living ordinary lives in the fear of God for the good of other people. That's what it means. Living ordinary lives in the fear of God for the good of other people. That's what a wise life looks like. Jesus told us that's true wisdom, right? He says, there are two men. One builds his house on the sand, the fool. And he's the one that, that listened to the words and he didn't do it. But the wise man built his house on the rock, right? So true wisdom is fear of God, obeying his commands. Really, verse 10. If you look at verse 10 again, I hope you can still see it. Switch on your Bibles. This is a good time to switch on your Bibles, okay? Um, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Remember, the question isn't, is this a sin? Is this not a sin? The question is, is the thing I'm about to do going to be pleasing to God? And again, sometimes that might be a very good thing, but it's the wrong timing, the wrong priorities. And so try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord in every situation. So that's basically the three ways we live wisely. Live your life in the light of ultimate reality. Live it wisely in the fear of God and live it by redeeming the time. But why? Why should we do this? Look at verse 16. It goes on. He gives a reason. He says, making the best use or redeeming the time because the days are evil. Now again, here, what, what, what Paul is meaning by day is meaning the atmosphere of our age. Think of when Jesus said, as it was in the day of Noah. And when he says that word day, it doesn't mean just one day, 24-hour days, meaning what was the common mindset of the people? What was the common idea? They were giving themselves over in drink and festivals and as if the flood isn't coming. Do you see? So when it says, making the best use of the time because the days are evil... We're living in the atmosphere, we're living in the days where heaven and hell is not real, the devil isn't real, there isn't judgment day coming, and that's why I make the best use of the time, because, because the world doesn't redeem time. The world will not help you redeem time. We should redeem the time because we are living in times which does not care about time. Right? We should redeem the time because we are living in times 
that doesn't care about time, that doesn't care about, the motto is live in the moment, live for now, right? That's the sea we are swimming in. Now that can express itself in either overindulgence in certain sense or laziness, right? Let's play now, work later. <laughs> but that's also the, 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 the motto is living, in, living just for now. Don't think about, don't, don't be such a party pooper. Always thinking about future and heaven and come on, just relax. I love this, this quote from Sinclair Ferguson. He says, this time, he says, this day is it's dominated, indeed obsessed with the idea of living for the now and turning a blind eye to eternity. Thus, even the workaholic, who apparently never wastes a minute, actually wastes every minute of his life because he's living it for self, for the short time, for the short term, and for this world only. Do you see the point? So the days are evil in, in the workaholic, the guy that's very successful because he's only working for now. He's not working for God. He's not working for eternity. He's not laying up treasures in heaven. He's thinking of, I just want a nice retirement, I just want a nice place, and I just want to die in peace. What a waste. What a waste of life. What a waste of your precious time. So the workaholic, the overindulgent sinner, are not redeeming the time. They're part of the evil days. The mindset that thinks eternity isn't real. There isn't a resurrection. There isn't a day coming when Christ will come. And if you and I are not careful... We're living in the sea and we will be lulled to sleep. We also will just go along with the downstream dead fish and say, yeah, let's just go with the throng. Let's just do what everybody else does. Instead of pushing upwards, denying ourselves, giving away our money, practicing hospitality, reaching out to the lost, sending missionaries, giving away all our money that missionaries might die on the mission field where nobody has heard about Christ, that his kingdom might come. That's how we make the best use of the time. Right? So let me close for us with just a few specific applications. Um, the first one is, as I've mentioned, is build your life around ultimate reality, especially Christ. Build your life around ultimate reality, especially Christ. If you turn back to chapter 1, verse 9. God has already made known to us his will. What is his will? It says, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. History is moving. The timeline of history is moving to that great point when all of history will be wrapped up in Christ, when everything will be in Christ. And so, what is ultimate wisdom? If that's where everything is heading, are you going along? Are you building your life on Christ, on knowing Him, loving Him, trusting Him, worshipping Him? It's all about Christ. It's about Him. That's what life's about. You were created for Christ. And until you find Christ, you will never find rest. You'll never have joy if you don't have Christ. And really, if you turn back to 5, verse 17, chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We just read what the will of the Lord is. God's going to wrap up everything in heaven and on earth in Christ. That's His will. 
Are you obeying his will? Are you obeying the gospel? And the good news is that you can come right now. You see, you might have wasted your life, your 20 years, your 40 years. I don't know how old many of you are, sorry. But your past. (laughs) But now is the time to repent. Now is the time to live your life for Christ. Even the thief on the cross, when he died, made the wise lived his life wisely by rolling his dying soul on a dying Savior, and he spent all of his eternity in heaven. You see, it's never too late. It's never too late to come and to repent and to put your trust in Jesus alone. But don't forget, there was another man on the cross as well. There wasn't just one man who gave his life for the Lord on his deathbed, so to speak. There was another man that died and went to hell. So don't assume. I, I, will, I will correct this tomorrow. I will, okay, I hear what you say, Paul, but give me another year. Give me another 10 years. Just give me, give me my space. You see, that's the kind of heart and attitude that will never repent. Do you think it will be easier in 10 years or do you think it will be harder? It's going to be harder because if you live in 10 years rejecting God, rejecting his, his word, it's not going to become easier. Now is the easiest time to repent because it's today. So do it today. So build your life, wrap your life around Christ. Don't, don't worry what the world says that a valuable woman is, a valuable man is. Throw away those things. Build your life upon his word, upon the rock of his word. And of course, here's another specific application. Not being dominated or addicted to anything. And just the next verse, I believe we see an example of wise living. Look at verse 18 as well. It says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. True wisdom is to say, I'm not going to give my life over to any addiction. Alcohol especially, because alcohol has a tendency to rob you of thinking, your sober-mindedness, you living in debauchery, and, but rather be controlled by the Spirit. We're going to look at that next week, what that means to be filled with the Spirit. But, but it, and don't just think about alcohol. Some of you might be addicted to video games. Some of you might be addicted to YouTube, to social media. First thing you do in the morning, last thing you do at night is grabbing your phone. You almost go into a panic when you realize as you left the home, that your phone is still in your house. Now, we know that sometimes we need our phones for practical things. So I'm not saying, you know, if you turn back, that's idolatry. But, but test your heart. Where do you go for comfort? Where do you go for satisfaction? Where do you run to for security and safety? Is it Christ or is it, is it an object? Is it, an, an act, is it something in this creation? Don't be dominated by anything. Right, there's a verse, Hebrews 12, verse 1. I love this verse. It says, as we run this race set before us, lay aside every weight and sin. Sometimes the weight isn't a sin, but it's slowing you down. So the reason I'm hammering on video games is because that was my personal weight. I was addicted to games to such an extent, right, that I lost my appetite for the Bible. I lost my appetite for unhurried prayer on my knees. I lost my appetite for my wife and my children. I wanted everybody to just leave me alone. 
You see, because I wanted to run my race with this heavy weight. I wanted to grab my computer, drag my laptop screen, grab my, my mouse, and everything must come with me to heaven. But it was too heavy. It was dragging me down. Now, for you, if that, that's not the effect on your life, praise God. Thank Him for that. That's one of God's good, God's good gifts you have to thank Him for. But, I, but my point is, what is slowing you down? What is distracting you? What is making your heart heavier so that you're not running as you should? Running as fast as you should. Running as light as you should. So, here's another thing, a specific application. And I think just three more left. And then, be aware of overcommitting. <laughs> That's also not wise living. Um, I personally have this kind of personality where I want to overcommit. I just say yes to everybody. That's just a, a, a symptom of my fear of man. Actually, I don't want people to think I'm a bad pastor or a bad man. So, Whatever you tell me, I know I can't do it, but I'm going to try. I'm going to break my body to do it. Or sometimes being so overcommitted that you're never at your house. You're never home. Listen to this proverb, Proverbs 27 verse 8. It says, like a bird that strays from its nest is a man who strays from his home. And the idea is when you think of a bird straying from his nest, what's the idea? That bird is in danger. That bird is no longer safe. So if you're always away from your family, away from your husband or your wife, you're not safe. You have to cling, hold fast to your husband and your wife. right? So, but that's because sometimes we're overcommitted. Sometimes we just do so many things that we are neglecting other biblical responsibilities back at home. And we say, I should rather downscale, rather undercommit that I can be obedient in every area, not just in some. Okay, But for some of you, that's not your problem. <laughs> Some of you are not struggling with overcommitment, but undercommitment. You're committed to nothing. You're not obeying Christ and submitting to his word in church. You're not submitting yourself under the fellowship of the church. You, you like to be the wanderer. You like to just check out everything on the sides, right? So sometimes you have to get going. I have to say, I'm going to commit. I'm going to be part. I'm going to Marry, right? I'm not going to wait and wait and wait and wait until ends of days. I'm going to commit myself to obey, to, to take up extra responsibilities. By the way, if you marry and have children, there's a lot of responsibilities that comes with that, right? It's, it's hard, hard work, but it's good. It's good work. And again, listen to this proverb. Uh, I'm quoting this proverb so much, you all know it already by memory, but Proverbs 22 verse 13, the sluggard says, there is a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets, right? So maybe today would be, there's a Rona outside. Right? Oh, I, I can't go to church, but I can go to the shops. There the Rona waits for us, <laughs> okay? But church, yo, he's waiting at the church door. He's going to grab us, so we're just going to stay at home. But you see what that actually is? That's just, now, now we locked down. I know many of you know we've, we've decided to lock down as a wise decision for our church. But my point is, sometimes people make excuses not to come to church. But they'll make excuses not to commit because they're either scared of authority. They don't want to want people to get too close to their hearts. They're scared of what they might find. But remember, we are all sinners, work in progresses, all of us. I'm in the middle of my sanctification. You are in the middle of your sanctification. And we are all saved by grace, not by our works. So it's okay to sin. It's okay to come and be honest about your sin. It's not okay to sin. It's okay to struggle with your sin and to repent of that as well. 
And here's the last one. Hoarding up riches as if this life is all there is. Right? It's just another specific application of what this looks like, not to waste our lives. Hoarding up riches as if this life is all there is. Um, Jesus told this parable in Luke 12. He says, He said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said this, I will do this. I will tear down my barns, build larger ones, and then I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. See the point? Again, the same point. If we are only thinking of this life, sometimes you are rich because you are neglecting eternity, because you're not thinking of that heavenly reality. You're not realizing that one day God is going to require your soul to give an account for what you have done. Again, this doesn't mean you shouldn't be rich, right? But Are you pursuing money? He who desires to be rich falls into a snare, into many senseless, harmful desires. And because of this craving, many have fallen away from the faith. So be on your guard for the love of money. It's not money. It's the love of money. That's the root of all evil. So let us prepare. Let us prepare ourselves to meet our king. Jesus is coming. And the things you do in moments just like these will determine whether you will spend all of your eternity with him or away from him. So come right now. Humble yourself before God. Cast yourself onto his mercies and he will cleanse you and forgive you and give you a wise new heart. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word that teaches us not just what to believe and what to know about you, but also how to live our lives practically on this earth, Lord. And Lord, I just pray that you would please help us, give us a heart of wisdom, Lord. Teach us to number our days, that we might know how short our lives are and how long eternity is. Oh, Father, I pray that we would if, especially if there's some here who are your children who, who are undercommitted to you, Lord. I pray that you'll help them to run the race set before them, to lay aside every weight and every sin that clings so closely, to commit to belong to you and to belong to your people, to serve you faithfully. Oh, Lord, we pray and we long, Lord, that we would be quicker to repent, Lord. We know, you know, Lord, our greatest grief is our weakness and is our sin. But thank you that your mercies are more and your mercies cover us with your grace. So, Father, please help us to redeem the time, to live in the light of ultimate reality, and to live in the fear of God as we follow you on this difficult, narrow road of obedience. We pray and we thank you for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.